So as you find your, your seats, um, before we hear God's word spoken to us today, we pause to pray that God would open up our hearts to hear the good news of God's word for us today, and that it might be a refreshing life-giving word to us. Let's pray. Holy God, you are the source of all goodness in our lives and in the world. For this, we thank you. We thank you for the good gift of your word, which nourishes us, encourages us, and gives us life. We pray that as we hear your word today, your spirit would be speaking to us, helping us to hear the good word that you've given us. We pray this in your name. Amen. A reading from Psalm 139, to the leader of David, a psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shiloh, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the furthest limits of the sea, and even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. And even the light around me becomes night. Even the darkness is not too dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's rooms. I praise you, and I am fearful and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes behold my unformed substance. If your book was written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. And weighty to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. I try to count them, they are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Oh, that you have killed the wicked, O oh God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me, those who speak of you malicely and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred, and I count them with my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked in any way of me, and lead me in the way everlasting.
The second reading is from Matthew chapter 13. Hear this word of the Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirtyfold. Let anyone with ears listen. Then the disciples asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. But blessed are your ears, for they see, and your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Hear, then, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a little while, and then trouble or persecution comes, and that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke out the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundred, in another sixty, and another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we reflect on your word today, would your spirit be ever guiding us, nourishing in us the good seed of your word, that we might grow as your disciples and live in your kingdom way in the world. We pray this in your name. Amen. What type of soil are you? Sometimes when I'm preparing a sermon, I'll listen to podcasts of other preachers who are preaching through the same text. 
it's just another reason for me to reflect on the scripture passage. And so I was listening to a couple sermons this week as I was cleaning my house and getting ready for guests to arrive. And two of the preachers focused on the soil that the parable describes. And they asked their congregations, what type of soil are you? In other words, when you hear the good news of the kingdom of God, when the seed falls on your ears and sinks down into your heart, what are the weeds in your life that choke out that good news? What is the rocky soil in your life that prevents the longevity of the life of faith? What are the birds that snatch away the good news before it even takes root? I believe that these are good questions to ask, probably in part because Jesus talks about it with his disciples, and he's a pretty wise guy. But I want to spend just a little bit of time at the beginning of this sermon talking about the soil and these different images of soil that Jesus gives to us. But I don't want to spend all of my time down in the dirt. I want to look at the bigger picture. Once we talk a little bit about the soil, I want us to look at the qualities of the sower. The sower in Jesus' parable is not named, but I believe it's pretty safe to assume that the sower represents God. The seed represents the word of the kingdom of God. In other words, it's the good news about God's grace to the world and how God desires us to live. The soil, as we heard from Jesus, is where the word of the kingdom of God falls in our lives. Jesus' parable is a metaphor for discipleship. In other words, how does that good news of the kingdom of God take root and grow in our lives? How does that seed flourish and flower in us, transforming us to live in God's kingdom way? And what are the things in our lives and in the world around us that prevent the seed of the kingdom of God from growing in us? I think we all know that there are things in our lives that prevent us from living how God calls us to. We don't always live with humility, and I say that intentionally because I'm included. We don't always live with radical love, hospitality, or care for the oppressed. We get distracted by wealth, prestige, and power. We allow these things to order our lives instead of allowing our lives to be ordered by God's kingdom vision of justice and peace. Sometimes it seems easier to live how the world lives. The thorns of wealth control and power can prevent us from growing to bear the fruit of generosity, kindness, and humility and dependence upon God. But the word of the kingdom of God calls and forms us to live in a different way. Jesus follows up the parable of the sower with the parable of the mustard seed. He said this, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in a field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree 
so that birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The word of the kingdom of God grows in us beyond what we can imagine. This is God's work within us. It is not our own work. The Holy Spirit works in us to transform us into who God desires us to be. The sower who gives us the seed does not abandon us. The good work that God calls us to, that God begins in us, God will complete. The sower, like any good farmer, tends this transformative work inside us so that we can bear fruit. So who is this sower that sows and transforms and brings life? I think this question is one of the greatest lessons in the parable. I'm going to move away from these other preachers and their questions of what type of soil are you. I'm actually a lot more concerned with what is the character of the sower. We actually aren't told a lot about the sower. Jesus begins the parable by saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And that's about it. That's all we get about the sower. <laughs> and the parable goes on. We aren't told the sower's shoe size, his or her favorite color, what type of music he or she listens to. We aren't even told why the sower is sowing. All we know about the sower is that they're doing their job. They're sowing the seed so the crop can grow and take root. That's what we know. There is one thing about the sower, however, that seems really interesting to me and I noticed right away. It's implicit in the story, and it's this. The sower is very liberal with their sowing of the seed. If the sower knows that there's different types of soil and the seed won't grow there, why sow there? Why sow on the path? If you know that the birds are going to come and eat the seed, why sow among the thorns if the seed won't bear fruit there? Why sow on the rocks? I mean, am I alone in my confusion? It seems logical to me that you would sow seed where you want it to grow and where you know that it would grow. As a farmer, you don't waste seed frivolously as the sower seems to be doing. Many of you know that I grew up on a farm, and my dad is the best farmer that I know, obviously. As a child, I became familiar with the rhythms of farming. Early in the spring, my dad would meet with a seed specialist to carefully pick out seed that would work best for each field according to their soil top type and crop rotation. Now, when the seed was chosen and purchased, it was carefully loaded into the planter in specific ratios. When I helped my dad with this process as a child, I remember how he instructed me to make sure that there were not even a few kernels left in the bag of seed before we recycled the bags. Each seed was precious. Each seed had the capacity to grow a whole plant that would yield up to 500 times the seed's volume. I learned, even in my young age, that seed was precious and was to be treated with care. 
because each seed had such potential to grow and produce, you don't throw it away. I've perhaps learned from my dad in this regard. I'm my father's daughter. When I plant uh, my vegetable garden this year, I planted the seeds very carefully, making sure to plant them in the right depth and spacing according to their type. I've mentioned to many of you before that my neighbors, who happen to be Afghan refugees, help me in the garden. The garden is kind of a neutral space in our backyard where we can meet and chat together. Two of the youngest kids will come out and help me. This year, as we planted, I went about the garden planting in my normal methodical way. And when we planted, um, I had Aksa and Muzadik find sticks to carefully mark the planted rows. I helped them measure the spacing of the seeds as they put it in the ground. This year, as we planted, Aksa and Muzadik's mother stood watching us as we worked together. About halfway through the planting of our second row of sugar snap peas, she commented to me, you plant differently in America than we do in Afghanistan. We don't plant in rows. And then she showed me where she had scattered her mint seeds by just scattering them on the ground. I could see them lying there in the open sun, scattered generously on the soil. Both our gardens have grown this summer in the generosity of the rain and the sun that's peaked out in the last couple days. I learned from Aksa's mother that I am very much my father's daughter. I am careful and conservative with my use of seed. Therefore, I have to be honest. In Jesus' parable, I am struck almost immediately by the action of the sower. If he knew that the seed wouldn't grow on the rock or on the path or among the weeds, why sow there? To me, a daughter of a Nebraskan farmer, the sower's actions are so extravagant it almost seems reckless. I told you earlier that the parable doesn't tell us the shoe size or the music preference of the sower. I do think, however, that the parable tells us one very clear thing about the character of the sower. The sower is generous, hopeful, and extravagant. What a beautiful picture of God. If God is a sower in this passage, which I believe is a faithful reading, God scatters the word of the kingdom liberally. God does not withhold the seed from the places even where the seed risks not growing. What a beautiful picture of God. God does not withhold the good news of the kingdom, but gives it to all. This is a stunning picture of God's generosity to us and to the world. We are the benefactors of God, the sower's extravagance. Whenever we hear about God's character, the follow-up question for me is always, what does this mean for us? As Christians, we are followers of Jesus, meaning we're making this journey of trying to live like Jesus, trying to live like God. This is the kingdom vision that God has given us and we are called to. If we live like God, we are called to share God's kingdom word generously 
with the world. We are also to live with the same mind-blowing generosity of God, the sower. We should proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the world with our words and with our actions. This is exactly what we are talking about when we talk about outreach at Linwood. As many of you know, we're doing this outreach sermon series that was to reflect on how God is calling us to live as a church. The outreach task force has given us the following vision of what outreach looks like. I want to share with you again their words, and if you're interested in a full copy of their report, you can find it out in the narthex. This is their call. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and sow seeds with words and actions that point to Jesus by going beyond our doors into the community to learn about our neighbors with compassion, to know them with respect, and humbly embrace them for who they are. We accomplish this by using our specific talents and resources to work with our neighbors to address the community's needs. This is our call as children of the sower. The good news of God's love and grace has been given to us. We are to share this good news with others in both our words and our actions. We are to share this good news as generously, as widely, and even as recklessly as the sower. God is extravagant in sharing this good news, and so we should be extravagant with others. Elizabeth Johnson wrote an article on the passage of the sower and what we can learn from it. I'd like to share some of her words with you. I think they're really wise. She writes, as those entrusted with Jesus' mission today, we might consider the implications of this parable for how we engage in mission. Too often, we play it safe, sowing the word only where we are confident that it will be well-received, and only where those who receive it are likely to become contributing members of our congregations. In the name of stewardship, we hold tightly to our resources, wanting to make sure that nothing is wasted. We stifle creativity and energy for mission, resisting new ideas for fear that they might not work, as though mistakes of failure were to be avoided at all costs. Jesus' approach to mission is quite at odds with our play-it-safe instincts. He gives us freedom to take risks for the sake of the gospel. He endorses extravagant generosity in sowing the word, even in perilous places. Though we may wonder about the wisdom or efficiency of his methods, Jesus promises that the end result will be a bumper crop. I really appreciated her words on this passage. During this whole outreach sermon series, I've been giving you, quote, homework to go and practice during the week. The reason I've been doing this is because as Christians, we're called to live out our faith daily. Sunday should be the day where we come to worship, learn, and maybe are refreshed in our spirit in God's presence and in the presence of one another. And then, as we leave, we go to live out our faith beyond our doors. 
you didn't notice, Linwood even has a sign at the top of the doors as you leave. It says, go forth and serve beyond our doors. So here is your homework for this week, should you choose to accept it. This summer, Linwood is doing three community events for outreach. We are funding the, these events with the money that our donor gave us specifically for outreach. And on Sunday, July 14th at 1 p.m., we're having an event at the Fort Hunter Firehouse. The purpose of the event is multifaceted. We are catering a meal to say thank you to first responders. We're inviting people to bring a food item to support the Gilderland Food Pantry. Therefore, we're trying to support and connect with people in our community that are doing the kingdom work of caring for people in need. We are also opening up the event to the larger community. We want people to come and meet each other and get to know each other. This is a way for us to get to know our community beyond our doors. So here's your homework. We have um, little printed cards with information about the event. Invite a friend. Choose somebody who lives down the street from you or that you go to work with. I'll be honest. I don't know who's going to show up at this event. You can invite someone, and it's a good possibility they'll tell you no. That's always the hardest part of asking someone. But you never know. Imagine someone coming who has been suffering from depression, and they just really need a time to connect with people and know that they are cared for. Imagine someone coming who has no idea that the food pantry exists, and they might need the food pantry for their own resources or want to volunteer with their family. Imagine someone coming who is really wondering about spiritual life but has been scared of churches and is just a little curious to see what the Christian life is all about. We don't know what God is going to do at this event, but as a people of faith, we are all about creating space where God can work in us to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. God has been generous with us, and we are to be generous in sharing the good news of God's love to the world in our words and in our actions. God is the one who works in people's lives so that they can know God's love for them. As you invite people this week, um, I encourage you to even be open in your conversations as you invite people. Maybe there'll be an opportunity to show encouragement or care or an opportunity to show God's love. May the generosity and extravagance of God the sower inspire you and strengthen you. Let's pray. God, your goodness is so extravagant to us. We're so grateful for the gift of your love, of your son, Jesus, of your word, which inspires us and changes us and shapes us. We pray that as we receive your generosity, we would become more generous with others. Transform us and grow in us the work that you are calling us to do. We pray this in your name. Amen.